you deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. New CBS Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. About to set it up. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, you got it. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Friday edition. Boy, it's been a week. It has been a week. We've got Senior Day coming up. Oregon, Utah, 7.30 kick. Uh, you've got Rod Gilmore on the call. So, hey, potentially mute your, your TVs there. Um, Dave Fleming, Tiffany Blackman. I think this is their third or fourth game that they've called for Oregon this season. Um Utah is 10th in the conference or 10th in the country. Oregon is 12th in the country. Both teams six and one in the Pac 12, eight and two overall. And there's a lot on the line. If Utah wins, they're essentially in the Pac 12 championship game. If Oregon wins, you know, the the shift there goes, it's not all a lock, but it's as close as it could be without it being a lock that Oregon uh, is in the conference championship game. Uh, so there's a lot on the line in this one. It's senior day. The emotions are running high. And then we've got the Bonix factor. Uh, is Bonix playing? Is Bonix not playing? Um, the last 24 hours, we're recording this on Thursday. So just so you know, um, we're not recording this on Fridays. Wednesday, Chris Hudson and Dante Thornton um, and a couple other offensive players spoke. And Thornton kind of said some similar stuff but not to the degree that Hudson did where he flat out came out and said like, Hey, next man up ties, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, Ty is going to play. Um, I don't know if Eric has the full quote here, but that caused a firestorm on social media. Um, and then the betting line has gone from what it opened six Oregon to three Oregon to now Oregon's an underdog as of Thursday morning. I think it's a two-point underdog. And then Wednesday night, Dan Lanning did his coach's show and gave a positive spin on Bonix's regards as well. So like this whole scenario, is he playing, is he not playing? There's the information that is everywhere right now. Yeah, and, and I think let's focus on the Hudson part because I think that's the thing that has fans the most perplexed, I would say, just because um, – well, I'll start here. Like these media scrums are usually relatively boring, to be honest. Yeah. And, and and Oregon as a team has some guys that will will give you kind of interesting insights into a game, but a lot of them don't. And this was one of the more, um, I guess, just stunning kind of media scrums of the year. And frankly, in a minute, like I've been at this for a while, and I can't remember having two items where I went home and went, I guess I have to write both of those. And both of them were kind of shocking. I mean, the first one being 
we haven't even established this. We don't have to talk into it in too much detail, but Hudson admitting he was faking an injury basically at the end of the Washington game. Morgan didn't yeah. have a timeout to extend things. And then the next question I ask, if Bo can't play, um, how do you feel about your backups? And Hudson says, obviously Bo is down, so it's next man up. Um, there's a lot more to the quote as well. You can go find it at duckterritory.com. He said a lot of nice things about Ty Thompson and his readiness to take over. I, I just also want to acknowledge that, like, I don't I, I don't think with, like, 100% certainty you take Hudson's words as being, like, this is exactly what's taking place. Um, in part because we have to realize, like, not everybody is a really confident, comfortable public speaker. And I'm not trying yeah. to say Chris is... Um, you know, not should shouldn't be taken. You know, should shouldn't have some accountability for what he has said. But I also think you've got a guy up there who is really wanting to back Ty Thompson, who's been frequently, you know, frankly ridiculed by the fan base, and wants to say some really nice things about Ty, and did so in a manner which comes across based upon the quotes and and, and what he says as indicating one thing is happening with Bo. When I don't know if you can, I don't know if you want to take it and say, gosh, yeah, Chris has just let the cat out of the bag. This is 100% what is taking place. So like, I want to get that part off to the beginning here of like, I think, and I'm not the only one who felt that way. James Crepia came up afterwards and was like, the syntax of that was really bad. But like, I don't, th I think people are, are going to, are going to run with it more than they should. I think we all kind of, anybody who was in the scrum listening to it live was kind of like, wow, it sounds like he's saying Ty is playing, but like, is that exactly what he's saying? And we, again, all huddled up afterwards and we're kind of like, I, I don't I don't know if we can say with 100% certainty that this changes all that much. So I wanted to get that part out of the way to start because it did create a firestorm. It did impact betting lines. Um, but I think you have to also realize you go into this game with, with Dan saying some more optimistic things about Bo, um, even later on on Wednesday. So um, will Bo play? Will he not play? That's the question, obviously of the week and, and we'll kind of get to Saturday evening before we have a real clear indication, but not a, gr not, not great from Chris Hudson in terms of what this sort of indicates. I, I also just want to kind of like sort of dampen or maybe put a little bit of uh, clamps on like those who maybe are reading this as being a definitive declaration one way or the other with a player, because I, I, I kind of don't know if that's exactly what it is. And it might be that it, tr it proves that it is what it is. And Chris Hudson, you know, made, made a huge, gaff here by by saying something he shouldn't have which obviously he did moments before which doesn't indicate great things in general but um i don't know that's kind of my piece on this whole thing because i know it's been litigated a lot on social media and on our website and, and all over the place this last 24 hours but my my my, my instinct is, is is that it probably means a little bit less than than what a lot of people are making it out to be i think it makes I mean, it's probably a little less than what most people are making it out to be just because Dan has, you know, he hasn't given any real answer to whether or not Bo Nix is going to play other than Wednesday night where he said he's preparing to play um, or preparing as if he's ready or if he's going to go. Um, I think, honestly, to me, I know that the, the Bo Nix thing has has had the most amount of, of, of movement and A, lines, and B, how this game might actually um, you know, take place on the field with his comments about Knicks. But the most interesting part that he said that entire time was about the injury issue with Washington, which is a whole different topic. But I thought that go, coming away from from that scrum, I was like, oh, that is that is a not a good that is not a good look. But um, yeah, I mean, this I wouldn't take everything that Hudson had said for real face value, just like Eric mentioned, because 
you know, that's only a second time talking to us as a, in the media and in, in a scrum since media day back in August, I'd like to say, um, just isn't as well-versed in talking to the media as someone like Bennett Williams is who talks basically every week at this point, um, kind of how Verone McKinley did last season. Um, just could have just been a slip up of words. Maybe he's right. Maybe Bo Nix doesn't play on Saturday. I don't think any of us, I don't think, you know, we're, we're really going to know until come Saturday, come game time, come when we, you know, when the, when the quarterbacks take the field and we see Nick's either out there or out there with trainers, blah, blah, blah. I, I think this is going to be, um, you know, kept under wraps. Um, not surprised that this became a real big social media thing, because like Eric mentioned, um, the quote in person is a lot different than the quote on paper or what somebody reads or what somebody tweets out. Um, it's not a good look for, for Oregon for either of those quotes or for for the, the for Nick's co potentially competing in this game. If you just look at the quote on Twitter, um, but in, in real life, it's a lot different with 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 how he talks and how how the questions asked, how all of these other things. But just to go on Twitter and see, or go on wherever you're going and to see the quote from Hudson, it's not a not the best thing to read, and it doesn't sound great in Oregon's favor. And we should also talk. I mean, I let me ask you guys this question: Is Bo Nix's availability or unavailable? You know, if he's available or not, is Alex Forsyth and Ryan's walk availability for this mm -hmm. game equally as important? Because I think it is. I mean, you could come together. Um, if Walk and Forsyth don't play in this game, and Bo Nix does play, I still feel like. That's just as big as Forsyth and Walk playing, but Bo Nix is not. Like, I have confidence in Oregon's offensive line, but to lose two of your best players against maybe one of the best defenses you'll face all year up front will put a ton of pressure on Bo Nix if, if he can play. And he's going to be probably lim limited in his mobility. And the impact that could have is is pretty big too. We don't and we don't know the status of those two guys either. I don't know if it's as big, but it's it's certainly something that's gotten overlooked this week because Bo Nix has stolen the, the headlines and the whole thing with Hudson yesterday in particular, like put a focus on it. Um, the quarterback has such a magnified value here, especially when you consider what the backup option seems to be with Ty. And I think I have a lot of concerns about what. Ty is exactly um, in part because I haven't seen it. Um, I might be even slightly more optimistic than the average Oregon fan who's completely written him off already and thinks he stinks, which I think is probably a little bit of a uh, unfair assessment considering what we've actually seen from him and what situations he'd entered. But I would feel better about the hypothetical Jackson Powers Johnson at center and potentially Stephen Jones at right guard in place of Alex Forsyth and Ryan walk. If, if that is where it plays out. And again, we have, uh, we're not reporting anything. That's just the hypothetical. What it certainly is, Matt is very notable um, in terms of even if Bo Nix does play, if those two don't play, that really changes up some of Oregon's strengths. And, you know, you get to the point here where let's just say, and again, this is all hypothetical, um, but let's say Bo Nix is available. And let's say those two offensive linemen aren't. And let's say Bo Nix is hobbled a little bit by whatever injury he does have and isn't as the runner he's been before. I would be a little nervous about what Oregon's run game will be, especially to the, you know, especially 
um, on interior run plays. Oregon's been excellent this year on run plays. One of the best rush offenses in the country. You take out those two key cogs right there, that could impact things a lot, especially if you remove some of the Bonix threat as a runner. Um, I mean, a, a fair amount of what they do are design runs, a fair amount are um, RPO situation play calls. And if you remove the, you know, the, the Bo Nix run out of the RPO equation, and you also remove two of your premier offensive linemen, that, that, that really imp- impacts Utah's keys and what they're reading every play. So um, there is certainly an impact there. I, I, I think it's good to bring it up because it probably does get overlooked because the focus is going to be Bo Nix, Bo Nix, Bo Nix. But Forsythe's availability, Ryan Walk's availability are certainly notable um, going into this game. And again, we'll we'll have to report more on that when we get to the stadium. I mean, I don't think there's really any other way of swinging it. Yeah, I agree. I I, I disagree with the notion that Walk and Forsythe's injuries are more important than Nix's, just because how important a quarterback is on the field for football and how good. Well, I didn't Bo say Nix they were is. most important. I said they were equally as important. I think there's oh, a difference uh, there. Either or, I still think that the Knicks injury is much more important, just because you know he's for this season he's been a dark horse Heisman candidate. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He makes this offense tick. We've seen the difference in what an offense looks like with him and and without him in the brief Ty Thompson moments that we've seen. I like Eric. I feel confident in Oregon's ability to put to plug and play offensive linemen. I know that they're not. You know, that Jackson Carver's Johnson probably isn't as good as Alex Forsyth and whoever comes in at right guard or, or left guard isn't as good as Ryan Walk is. But I have I feel confident that, you know, Powers Johnson has, has played a lot this season and is a good offensive lineman. The continuity there between him and uh, him and uh, Knicks as a center to quarterback exchange will need to be worked on, you know, probably at practice this week if Knicks has been there or Knicks hasn't been there. Um, so that's something that they can work on intermittently between games. But just having Nick's on the field, even though he might be limited in his mobility, um, enable his to, to scramble or even a quarterback draw or something like that, having him on the field is much better than having him off the field. Um, I, I and same goes to the two offensive linemen. I just feel better about um, Oregon's ability to sub in their backup offensive linemen, like a Dawson Jarmill, like a Fleo Bailalu, Jackson Powers Johnson. They have dudes who can plug and play more than they have due to can plug and play a quarterback, which is a much, well, maybe it's not a much harder position, but it's one of the hardest positions on the field. That's for sure. I just think um, the reason I, I, I asked that question is because so much of what we heard about Bo Nix at Auburn was they couldn't protect him. And when mm-hmm. they couldn't protect him, we saw how crazy he was up and down with his play. And at Oregon, he's, he's seen the best, protection he's seen in his life and he's had the best career of his life. And I think there's a connection there. Um, Now offensively, like we know there's questions here for, for Oregon with injuries and who's playing, who's not playing defensively. We know who's playing and yet there's different questions. Um, I don't know about you, you guys, and, and just your, your, your thoughts on this matchup, but, Go listen to um, if you haven't listened to our our conversation with Steve Bartle, um, who covers the Utes. Go listen to that 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 went live Thursday. Um, but I said on that podcast, and I'll say it here: I am absolutely terrified of Oregon's linebackers covering tight ends. Their 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 responsibility 
in the pass game in the middle of the field. Um, I know Utah is a run-centric team first, historically, but knowing Cam Rising and the, the, the talent he has, I understand that Utah does not have their full complement of tight ends, but Dalton Kincaid is still really good. And I just – I think if Oregon wins this game, even with Bonex available, it's ultimately going to come on to the heels of the defense. And can they get a stop? Because I don't have a lot of confidence right now that they're going to get, be able to get a stop, especially against these tight ends. Well, I think it's a really good point, Matt, because, again, kind of similar to my point before, is the Bo Nix health thing has stolen so much of the attention this week. And yet, regardless if he, if he plays, it doesn't impact a defense that has really, really had a hard time. I mean, I don't think there's any way to, to, to say – I mean, there's no other way to put it. And – that Washington game did not inspire confidence. A lot of the struggles they've had throughout the season haven't inspired confidence. Third down defense has been a problem all throughout the season. This matchup on paper um, is probably a little more favorable than the Washington matchup, in my mind, at least in terms of where Utah's strengths are. But the tight end on Oregon linebackers matchup is not a is not a plus matchup. There's no other way to put it. Um, Oregon against the pass from the linebacker perspective, if you look at PFF, it suggests Noah Sewell's actually pretty good, which kind of surprised me, but it suggests everyone else is really bad. Um, and I think the Jeffrey Bossa part is one I just, like, who who is Jeffrey Bossa? You know, I think that he leads the team in tackles. I, I really thought he had a standout season last year. This could be a game where maybe he announces himself a little bit because it is a going against his hometown team. He's from the Salt Lake City area. Um, and he is probably going to be targeted along with Sewell and whoever is out there at linebacker quite a bit against Kincaid. And if you saw what USC struggled and failed to do against Kincaid, you'll understand why. And the stats are unbelievable. I think he had 14 catches for like 260 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's <laughs> Utah found the weakness in the USC defense and went at it over and over and over again, as really well coached teams do. And I assume Utah will try to find Kincaid and put him in those situations. If they see that as an equal of a, of a weakness for this Oregon defense, which I think you can argue it is. I, I also think this will be a game that will uh, likely challenge Oregon's front seven in other ways because of the way Utah plays that so they're averaging about 40 runs per game i don't think that changes um, oregon's run defense has held up really well all season no team has run for more than 186 yards that was ucla who has the conference's top rush offense with the conference's best running back in charbonnet so um this game will be very different from a approach to what we just saw with washington and i think that could provide one of two outcomes could provide a really encouraging outcome you have a thing, Jared? I'm counting your two outcomes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were saying stop. Um, no, but it could provide one of two different possible outcomes. The first of which is you come away saying, oh, man, I guess Oregon can't stop any offense with any variety of approach, right? Like that could be what we come away saying is like we just faced a air raid, you know, spread it out, four guys out there. We're playing certain defenses and we get thumped. And then the next week, a very, very different offense shows up and does a very has a very different game plan and approach, and we play a very different game plan defensively, and we get thumped. Or you might come away saying, "The Washington, here's second outcome." Thank you, Jared. 
Or the second outcome might be you come away saying, okay, was the Washington game a byproduct of, okay, no one's saying Oregon is good, great defensively, but was it more a byproduct of a really bad matchup against a Washington offense that's really difficult to defend for teams that have certain deficiencies and a game against Utah maybe is actually going to be a little bit uh, encouraging for a defense if they come out and actually make some plays. So I think that's going to be kind of the way I'm looking at it is like, do they come out and actually show some things and get off the field and make some stops and, and have an impressive showing? Or is it really deflating and you go, it really almost doesn't matter what the other offense does. As long as, as, long as it's well coached, it's going to beat this defense because Oregon lacks players or Oregon lacks you know, some defensive scheme uh, issues or, or whatever the outcome we kind of feel like it is. So, I mean, that's sort of what I'm watching when Oregon's defense is on the field. I think those are obviously the, the two outcomes of this game. And I think Matt's concerns about you know, linebacker uh, coverage over the middle are are extremely valid. Um, I did some digging, went on PFF, um, over 1,200 of Cam Rising's 22-25 uh, total yards this season are over the middle of the field, intermediate or short. Um, that's That does not ring well to, to what Oregon's, you know, defensive issues really present themselves. Um, I, you know, when watching Utah this season, there are points where I think it's very similar to how Oregon runs their offense. You know, they have these 12, 13 personnel. Um, I think they, they go to 14 personnel more than Oregon does because it's really just 14 J that Oregon goes to it. Um, but Utah will do some creative things there. I think, I, I think Oregon has done well against those situations in 12 and 13 personnel this season, much better than they had last season, but that still presents a, a, a huge issue. And at the same time, Tavian Thomas, their running back, is a dude. Um, he's looking a lot better. He's had an up-and-down season. He's only carried the ball over 20 times twice, uh, and he's only run over 100 yards twice. But however, one of those came was it two weeks ago against Stanford or last week against Stanford when they put up 180 yards on the ground. Um, more about Tavion, 371 of his total 632 yards this season on the ground have come after contact. This is a guy that Oregon needs to get down. This is someone that Dan Lanning has talked about a lot or has talked very favorably of this season. I think, Matt, you asked the question if they've seen a running back like him this season, and he said no, and I agree. I think Zach Charbonnet is the best running back that they've seen this year, but Tavian Thomas is up there, but he's a different style of runner. Um, the defensive issues that Oregon faced last week against Washington with long passes and Michael Pennish just being a really damn good quarterback, um, I don't necessarily know if they'll face as often just because Utah doesn't throw the ball deep that like I'm talking deep, deep. I'm talking like what Washington last did last week. They don't do that that often. Just 30, 36 times this year, they thrown the ball, you know, over 20 yards down the field. They, I think they've completed 36% of those shots, but the average depth of target is 25 or 27.5 yards, which means that they are hucking the ball. It's not just, you know, plus a, it's a 20 yard gain, but the average depth of target is 21 yards. Like they are throwing the ball downfield. And that's exactly what Dan Lanning mentioned on Monday, I believe it was. They're going to draw you in, draw the linebackers, the safeties in as they constantly rush the ball. And as soon as they go play action, everybody draws in and they're going to hit you over the top deep. So that potential threat of a deep ball going over Bennett Williams's outstretched arms is still there. It is still a possibility here. And you know, we'll get to our score predictions later. I, I think this is going to be another shootout like it was against against Washington. Maybe not as high scoring or have 
you know, a million points in the third quarter like it was against Washington. But I still think that this is going to be a really high score game. I think Utah's offense is a lot of fun. I think it's just very fun to watch, very fun to go through film with. Um, and Cam Rising is, is, is another guy who's going to cause a lot of issues for Oregon this season. Keys to the game? Sure. Eric, you're on you're mute, baby. <laughs> okay, I'm not, I, I, I muted myself. Uh, Matt, we talked about this in the pre-show. I just wanted to throw this fact out here if, if in fact, Bo Nix yes. doesn't play. I just thought this was interesting, and I, I hadn't realized it until I was looking through the history. If Bo Nick doesn't play in this game, this will be the three straight times that Oregon has hosted Utah with the backup quarterback as its primary Vernon. quarterback. Vernon Adams did play in 2015. I was just looking through it, but not very much. They ended up going to Jeff Blocky and Taylor Alley. That was the game that was really ugly, 62 to 20. By the way, so, somehow Britton Covey played in that game and then also played in last year's <laughs> games. He won? Britton Covey had a punt return. He was a true freshman, I think, that year. Yeah, Britton Covey had a punt return for a touchdown in that game. Um, and then also, as we know, uh, had a punt return for a touchdown, I think, in last year's game. So that's kind of crazy. Um, that's because he took Well, he oh took his God. mission. Uh, anyway, and so that was 15. And then in 2017, uh, we Oregon actually beat the crap out of Utah pretty impressively with Braxton Burmeister. Braxton Burmeister. It, was like, it was like the one game where Oregon actually performed okay without Herbert. So this could be – and then they didn't play – in the, the, in 18, 19, or 20, or 21 at Autzen. So this could be three straight games. Oregon plays Utah at home, basically without its starting quarterback. So um, weird how history repeats itself sometimes. All right, Keys, I think, A, that's a mind-blowing stat. And I, I mean, it's just one of those deals where it's like, of course, against this team, uh, hopefully Bo Nix gets on the field for Oregon. Um, keys to the game for me, I... I don't. I'll have a story up on this on the site today um, in the afternoon um, about it. But I, I've been curious how Oregon's emotional state has been this week because this time last week we were all talking, "Hey, like the playoffs are a very real thing for Oregon," and it's very clear what they have to do and it's all within reasonable accomplishment to, to do it to get to the playoff and in a span of like 15 game minutes late saturday night at austin stadium all those dreams and discussions came crashing down and i i think it's very important to track how teams handle tough november losses Utah has had their second loss, and that came in like early October where they maybe got a couple games of, of down in the dumps, woe is me type attitude. I don't know if that happened or not, but they were able to play through that and reestablish their drive for the season and, and be able to get mentally prepared for this game knowing, hey, the playoffs not there, but we can still accomplish a lot of our goals. And, and then – generate that drive that desire to get to that goal Oregon is still in that kind of grief stage where it's oh man like everything we were striving for is officially off the table and so for me what does this team look like in that first quarter if they come out and woe is me and and they have a sloppy start Utah is going to wipe the floor with them I, I I'm expecting Utah to show up and play 
one of their better games of the season. And so if Oregon isn't there at kickoff of the first quarter to match the intensity, to match the focus, to match the the high level execution of plays, whether Bo Nix plays or not, they're gonna they're gonna lose. So for me, it's just what is this team's? It, it, it's not anything that X knows wise. It's all mental. What where is this team's headspace at at kickoff? Are they gonna be fired up? Are they gonna be you know embracing that they can still get to the Rose Bowl, or are they still gonna be worried about what happened? the previous week in the loss of the college football playoff opportunity. Yeah, and there's almost also something to being the inverse of that being true. Like almost being too fired up in part because of what happened last year in these Very games. True. Right. And, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how that always plays out, but maybe trying to make too many plays, maybe trying to trying to prove yourself. And, and that's actually kind of where I was going to go, which is again, um, more of like, let's say the contingency plans are in place and it is Ty Thompson again. We're doing hypotheticals. We're not reporting anything. I want to make that very clear. And let's say that both the offensive linemen are out and you've got Jackson Powers Johnson and let's say Faye Ope since he was the person who replaced um, Jackson when he slid to center and the right guard thing at the end of the game. Let's say that's your starting. Let's say those three guys are all starting. I think it's really pivotal that all three of those players play within themselves. Don't try to do too much. Um, you know, you, you want to make sure that that center to quarterback snap exchange is healthy and, and, and good. You want to make sure if you're Ty Thompson, you don't come out too fired up and make mistakes. Um, and I think the same thing could be, be also said if Bo Nix plays too, of kind of what I was responding to with Matt's thing of like, not Bo's been really even keel all year. I think that's been, his temperament's been awesome. I think that's been one of the strengths of this team. I think he's really calmed down this, this, these players, but with what just took place and with what's on the line and now with even almost more pressure kind of creeping in where this season could spiral from being a really special season to being similar to last year's season. Kind of talk, I kind of talked about that on a podcast, I think earlier this week of like, is this the 2019 season? Is this the 2021 season? Like one season they, they rallied, they won a Rose bowl. Everything turned out pretty dang good down the stretch. And the other season they ended up losing, you know, three or four games, three of all three with, which were pretty much blowout losses. So, you know, if you're Knicks, if you're some of these kind of leaders on the team, it's just kind of making sure you take a breath and say, hey, remember what we did during that eight-game win streak? Like, remember how good we were, on, on, especially on offense? Let's get back to that level. And again, it's even more so that way, I think, of not trying to do too much if it is some of these backups. So um, I, I think a lot of this to me is is similar to Matt, where it, where it feels, um, you know, emotionally driven, kind of uh, psychologically driven of kind of where are you at, kind of what's your temperament, how are you able to enter a game against an opponent that you know has had your number the last year or so. Um, and that, that, again, this was a game that was circled in the calendar coming in. A lot of things have changed. You know, I think it's funny because if Oregon had beaten Washington and Bonix wasn't questionable for this game, let's say those offensive linemen were also available, I think we'd all be here having a lot different intros to this show. And I think there'd be a lot of different confidence in what would happen in this game, but so much has taken place. And I just think you kind of have to take a deep breath and, and kind of situate yourself and make sure that you're able to kind of rely upon the things that got you to that eight game win streak rather than focus on the thing that, that maybe cost you the last week. I think there's a lot of keys to this game. I think there's a lot of keys off the field and there's a lot of keys on the field. You guys both went, with more 
kind of off the field, but Eric went kind of on the field with, you know, keep within yourself. So I'm going straight on the field. I think, I think for Oregon, I think the main key to this game is to establish the run and establish the run early. That is, that's with Ty Thompson, that is sans Ty Thompson and Bo Nixon at quarterback. Regardless, I think that this is the main differential between what we have seen from Utah teams in the past and what we have seen from this year's Utah team, other than the fact that their offense is spectacular. You know, and, and like the 2019 title game, I remember, I think Utah was at like allowing 64 yards on, per game on the ground, something absurd. That's not what they're, what they're doing this season. This is a Utah team that teams have been able to run on and run on consistently from October 1st to November 5th, their most recent month of month stretch of games. I thought a month would be the best way to kind of look at this for the five teams that they played ran for over 150 yards. That's Oregon state, UCLA, USC, and, and Arizona, who is, as we know, a high profile passing offense. So they all ran for over 150 with UCLA leading the bunch at 203. Their very first game of the season, Florida ran for 283 yards on Utah. That's against Florida, a bit different first game of the season. I digress. Washington State was the lone team to not run for over 150 yards at 42, and they're you know a team that's not going to run the ball that often. This this Utah team has had their ups and downs in the running rushing defense. You know they held um, I can't remember the team right now at the time. Arizona State they held them to six yards rushing this season on 20 attempts. That's pretty good, um, but again it's Arizona State. Oregon, however is one of the best rushing offenses in the country. I think there's now second best in the Pac-12. I think UCLA has them by like a hair, um, but they're still up there. They just ran for 312 last game against Washington, who went into that game as one of the best rush defenses in the conference. Um, establishing the run early gives, if Ty Thompson is starting, establishing the run early gives Ty a little bit more confidence and to make the easy throws. Utah's going to crash down on Oregon's rushing attack. There's going to be more open receivers. And that's really important because Clark Phillips, Utah's cornerback, is one of the best in the country. He's going to be similar to how teams, when they go against Oregon, do not target Christian Gonzalez. Oregon probably would be best advised, especially for the backup quarterback, to not target Clark Phillips. He's allowed 36 receptions on 55 targets this year only three touchdowns and five total interceptions. He's a dude. He's a future first round pick or at least a high draft pick rush uh, running the ball early for Oregon sets up the ability to look for more open receivers, maybe use the screen game as a benefactor. It just, it's what they need to do to start this game, especially considering maybe, maybe Bo Nix plays and maybe he's not that mobile and he can't just scramble. They need to get into third down and short opportunities more than third down and long opportunities because they're watch or excuse me, Utah's pass defense is pretty darn good. I just mentioned Clark Phillips. The run defense is the there's the opportunity for them to capitalize on. And I think they need to start that very early in the process. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into um, our game picks for this one.
It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, Matt Perry, Mariscope with Jared Mack. Friday edition of the show, making our predictions here. And, fellas, uh, I don't know about you, but this was, like, the toughest one for me to make. And uh, it's all the factors we just spent the last 33 minutes talking about. Um, we'll start offensive team prediction, defensive – or offensive player, and then the defensive side. For So, for me um, – I don't know what it is. Sometimes we see when there's uncertainty or a backup gets inserted to the game every once in a while. Eric referenced it, the boat, the the Burmeister game. Like the one time against a good opponent, the one time we saw a really good quarterback play um, from, from Burmeister was at that home game and a win. So I, I, I think even if Bo doesn't play in this football game, I think I'm going to go Oregon over 400 yards total offense. Um, and part of that will be because of my player prediction coming up next, but I, I think Oregon will have some success moving the football. It's not going to be like what Jared said, uh, similar to what it was last week with, with Washington, where it was literally just each team chucking the ball down the field and going 80 yards for scores. But I, I think Oregon will have some success moving the football, even if Bo Nix doesn't uh, play so give me 401 or more yards total for Oregon offense in this game let's try to think of things that were Bo Nix availability proof basically like things that I think would be constants regardless of who's at quarterback and for me it's I think you would run the football in the red zone regardless if it's Bo you might utilize him as we've seen on quarterback sneaks if it's um, or handing it off to the running backs, maybe more if Bo's injury is significant. I think the same thing is true if it is Ty. Um, so my prediction here is that Oregon, I think, is going to have some success in this game moving the football. Um, and I think they will score more rushing touchdowns than any team Utah has faced this season besides Florida. Florida had four. Um, it's pretty impressive when you look at Utah's resume in terms of allowing rushing touchdowns. They allowed two against UCLA. Uh, several times zero, and then one against a host of teams. So I think Oregon's going to get in there three times on the ground. This is, again, how Oregon has uh, effectively scored for the most part this season in the red zone are, are on run plays. And I do think it could be a situation more of, um, if it is Ty, hypothetically, probably don't want to have him throwing the football in those high-pressure situations more than you can. And if you can punch the ball in, that's probably the way you choose to do it. And again, if it's Bo we've already seen and established kind of that is the track record of when he's available that, that they do like to, to run it with the quarterback or with the running backs when they get close there. So um, I think three or more rushing touchdowns. 
I have a question for you both. Did you guys make these predictions with Nix as a starting quarterback or Ty Thompson as a starting quarterback? Neither. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I tried. Yeah, n- neither. Jay Butterfield, starting quarterback. Yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> Jake Van Dyne. Yeah. No, I, 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 as I said, kind of open mind. I tried to make predictions based upon how I thought the outcome would be, regardless of who the quarterback is. It's really that's what, and that, honestly, that's sure. what is going to make all these predictions pretty challenging because when we get mm-hmm. to game picks, like I almost want to give two because it's like if, if. Bo is playing I, I yeah. one out. I had two as well. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll kind of get there when we get there. But yeah, I, I was in, with my this one I just gave. It was the thought of like kind of the contingency of it being either one. Yeah, it was it was a tough one. I'll I'll be honest. I made my predictions with with the idea that at least some able-bodied Bo Nix was playing. So I think that that's just what I believe. That's what I think going forward, despite what. Our good friend, our near dear friend Chris Hudson, has said to us at the media scrum, "I'm my inner self is believing that Nick's, you know, has his Willis Reed moment comes out of the tunnel and he's he's playing this this game." So that leads me to my team prediction that Oregon's offense puts up over 500 yards total. Um, I went 100 more than what what Matt said. That is strictly based on me thinking that Nick's is going to be capable. I think that the fact that he came in for the last eight or nine snaps of the game against Washington is a good indicator. Um, I know that that could just be a lot of adrenaline going on at that time, but I don't, you know, if, if this was a, an injury where it could be, it, it could be considered severe, quote unquote, you know, Dan and the, and the medical staff aren't going to put him back into the game. So you know, my personal belief is that he'll play and that Oregon's offense will look relatively similar maybe without him scrambling as much and we'll put up over 500 yards of total offense i like the optimism i like the confidence in in the offense um i have confidence in in the offense too without bonix um a big reason why i said 400 or more yards in this game and that may feel like a low number considering what oregon has done all season long 400 but that's that's not elite, but that's still a pretty good number to average every single week for, for a college football team. And a big reason why I think they hit 400 is because Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington um, will go together for 225 on the ground. Um, Bartle yesterday on the show said that the Utah rush defense isn't what it has been historically at Utah. And so I went and looked at some of the numbers here. Um, their yards allowed per carry – this season is at four two four. That's the worst it's been since at least two thousand and nine. Um, that really shocked me. And then you look at um, FBS winning teams are averaging over five yards a carry, five point oh nine, and that too is the highest number that they have allowed against an FBS winning team this in a season since at least 2009. Um, I think a lot of their, they are very good against the run, but a lot of it is because they get up on some of these lesser talented teams and eliminate the pass or eliminate the run game and opponents now have to throw. And look, that's what, that's what any good defense does. You, you make the game one dimensional. You make your opponent have to do one thing. And typically when, when you fall behind, it's to throw the football. So I think there, even without Bonix, I think there's going to be some avenues for Oregon's run game to have some success. And 
Oregon's offensive line, especially their tackles, are really good. I think Alex Forsyth is really good. Their tight ends are tremendous blockers. And I'm putting some faith here that Kenny Dillingham will be able to scheme up some formations and some in some matchups that will be favorable for Oregon's rushing attack with or without Bo Nix. So the two backs going over 225 combined yards. I know you said earlier in the week, Matt, but I'm in agreement. This is another game where Kenny Dillingham can, has an opportunity to really prove himself as a play caller, as a game designer, in terms of regardless of what exactly the hand he's dealt is, it's going to be a hand that is different than what he's had for most of the season in terms of injuries, in terms of opposition, obviously, because that changes every week. But I'll be very curious to see how this oper- uh, offense operates this week. But one thing I'm pretty confident in is Bucky Irving's going to be used quite a bit. We've seen... Um, now, in, in the games that have been competitive this season, um, aside from the Georgia game where they're just kind of trying to figure out, I think, that running back rotation, we've seen his usage really go up. And if you look at the two games previously where they've hosted ranked teams at Autzen Stadium, that would be the Washington game and the UCLA game, he's touched it more than 20 times if you combine rush and uh, receptions. Um, no other game this season he's had more than 16, and that 16 came against Washington State, another game that was really competitive down the stretch. So. In, in, in blowout games where they've been in control, you know, he's averaging about 12 touches per game. But in these competitive games, and we'll just say, in, in, you know, focusing on these home games against Washington, UCLA ranked opponents, it, it's about 23 touches per game. And so I, I think he's going to be utilized a lot. I think he'll be a focal point. And again, regardless of who the quarterback is, I think this will be true. I think they're going to try to ride their most talented um, and most healthy, maybe talented offensive player, I guess is one way of putting it. Uh, in Bucky Irving, and so I think he's going to actually outdo his previous high, which was against Washington when he had 20 rushes and five receptions last week. I think he's going to have 26 or more touches this week. I expect him to be utilized a lot, and um, for this offense to, to, frankly, for this offense to be successful, I, I think he needs to be a focal point every week, but especially against a, a Utah team, which is really difficult in, in the front seven and, and will, I think, try as heck to take away the run. I think it's important that you actually kind of zig and zag there and, and actually just pound it in their face if you can as much as possible early to try to establish something. Because if you can, as, as Jared said earlier, as one of his keys, if you can't establish that run game, that will open up a lot of other avenues to have some success because you know Utah's going to want to try to take that away early. One of those avenues is my individual offensive prediction. Terrence Ferguson. I know there's been a lot of talk about Utah's tight end room, but Oregon statistically as a, as a group has been right up right up with them in, in the tops of the NCAA. So I have Terrence Ferguson at least four receptions, at least 60 yards, and at least one touchdown after a very um, interesting past week where the tight ends just weren't used seemingly. I think that was more game script and that the fact that Oregon needed to score quick because Washington was scoring quick and you know, it's easier to hit a hit Tante Thornton or Troy Franklin over the middle for 40 yards and a touchdown than it is to methodically go down the field and hit Ferguson and or Cam McCormick, Patrick Herbert, whoever it may be. But I think this game is going to be different. I think it's going to be slower, like I think both of you guys have said at this point. I, I still think, again, I still think it's going to be higher scoring, but I think it'll be a little slower paced and more, you know, instead of 35 points combined in one quarter, it'll be spread out over all four quarters. So give me Terrence Ferguson, at least four receptions, at least 60 yards, and at least one touchdown. I like it. T. Ferg's a good player. So seeing him step up would be a, would be a good pick. Um, defensive team pick here. 
not good. Um, Oregon is not good against third down. Um, I think Utah will convert over 60% of their third down conversions in this game. Um, this is going to be one in which I think there will be a lot of fans in their living rooms, uh, at the game, wherever you may watch a football game, screaming, can we please just get one third down stop? Because it feels like every single game or every single third down, they, they won't get it. Um, so give me over 60% conversion rate for Utah's offense on third down. Sadly, Matt, that's basically the norm. I mean, that's like, I mean, that rate, which sounds crazy to be like 60%, <laughs> is like, that's actually like pretty close to the season average. I don't have it. Oh, Matt went safe with this pick. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's kind of, how, <laughs> that's almost how I felt when you were saying it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a safe pick, but it's like, it's, it shouldn't be because 60% is a egregious impact on the game to get. I mean, I, actually, I don't know, Jerry. I think the percentage is what it's over 50 for the season, I think, that they're giving up on third. Oregon's third down defense. Let me yeah. look that up because I was just looking up Utah's third down conversion percentage. Yeah, give is... me bo- give me both of those in a second. I'll give mine and then you can kind of uh, clue us in there. But I actually, Matt, it's a good prediction. It's just it almost it's forty eight point five percent that Utah's converted or Oregon's allowed. Oregon's allowed. Yeah, yeah. So. Utah's at Utah's at fifty point eight. Four teams from the Pac twelve are in the top ten, and Oregon has played three of them. Has some someone to have an impact, and Dan has admitted that, but has also said we need to be better there, and I don't think anyone's arguing with that. Um, I will real quick, real quick. Oregon yeah. has only had one game over sixty percent, and that's Week One, which seems crazy to think about. So it's basically it's had a lot been, close. It's been a lot of fifties. Yes. Okay. Um, similar thought process here. I mean, kind of. I shared this last week on our, our pod, and I, I said it again in my scuple domus. Um, when Oregon plays a crappy defense, or sorry, a, a crappy offense, I'm going to give a pretty positive prediction. And when Oregon plays a good defense, it's probably not going to be the most positive prediction. And that kind of holds up here. I mean, Utah's certainly a, 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 a capable offense. They do things, as I established earlier, we've kind of all discussed very differently than Washington. So I expect the problems this week to be different than the problems last week, which is probably not encouraging. But um, I think Utah is going to be able to establish its run game. I don't know if it'll be immediate. Um, like I even think back to last year's game, I think in Salt Lake, one of the two games, it was kind of like, oh, Oregon's rush defense is kind of holding up. And then eventually the floodgates open and they end up running for a ton of yards and having a lot of success. And you see Tavian Thomas in the end zone a bunch. So I, I, I kind of think we might see something similar here where Oregon might hold up okay initially. Uh, against Utah's ground game, but I think over the course of the game, the Utes will do some damage, and I think they'll actually do more damage than any opponent has on the ground this year. Um, for as much as much criticism as we've given Oregon's defense, the one thing that's been consistent has been its ability to kind of limit opposing run offenses. Um, I mean, like, it doesn't sound like a, a great defensive game necessarily, but holding UCLA to 186 yards on the ground when they average 240 is, is actually pretty impressive. Um, I think Utah will end up with over 187 yards in this game to surpass the Bruins for the most yards um, put together against an Oregon rush defense, which, like I said, has been the strength all season. And I think will have its decent moments, but I just think the cumulative effect of of kind of the way um, the Utes will run the ball will will end up wearing out Oregon's defense eventually. It's always hard to do these defensive team predictions when the opposing offense is just so damn good, like it was last week with Washington. Um, so I'm setting the bar extremely low for this defense just because uh, while I do believe the matchup is 
theoretically on paper better for Oregon than it was last week against Washington. I don't think it's going to be great. I have um, <laughs> I have Oregon holding Utah to under 500 yards of offense. So it is um, it's, the bar is low, but I think that's that's what's going to do it. Um, would it be surprising if they went over 500 yards? Probably not. Um, but I thought that that was a good bar to make a prediction at and uh, give myself some leeway there. So I got that. There, there you go, guys. <laughs> hey, it, it's good defense, right? When they hold them under 500 yeah. yards because they go on 10 minute drives every time and right. they slow the clock yeah. down. <laughs> Maybe they'll do it. Who knows? All right, defensive player pick here. Um, I'll be honest. I tried to find something positive. Uh-oh. <clears throat> Did you go negative again? It was hard. Again? It was Did you hard. go negative? Oh, boy. It was hard. Um, I feel like I'm just coping out here. Christian Gonzalez is going to lead the team in tackles. I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing. Um, I, I tried to find something positive to make a team pick here. I don't – see a lot of them um i i think the only way that oregon will get stops consistently is if they win on first and second down and they make utah have to throw on third and long and i think that's going to be the path to success and i think christian gonzalez is your best defender so i'm picking oregon's best player on defense to have a big game and a big moment. And so he'll lead the team in tackles by coming up and helping stop the run a little bit and then making some plays in the secondary. I'm going Noah Sewell-centric, which is probably a mistake. He's kind of been, and I think we said this earlier, like linebackers in general have been our defensive equivalent to the Bucky Irving problem, which I think I've solved because I got it last week. And I'm going for it again this week. But I... I, I think because of how I expect Utah and what I just kind of said a second ago, where I think they're going to run the football a lot. And, and, and also, as Matt and as said first, we've kind of all agreed on, probably going to target Dalton Kincaid a lot. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Oregon's linebackers to make plays. Uh, and, and Noah Sewell is somebody who has played really well against his home state school. I mean, he, he's from the state of Utah. This could be, probably will be, I would imagine, his swan song. In fact, one thing we haven't said at all on this podcast, I really have no idea who they're going to honor for Senior Day. I just genuinely could be don't everybody know. in the stadium, basically. Dan said eighteen people will be honored, but you could convince me of like any, like the number of possible, uh, uh, I guess, combinations of those eighteen players to me is like endless. I don't know. I'm not good at math, but it feels like it's got to be like two million different combinations could work with these different eighteen people. I know that's an exaggeration, but like there feels like there's a ton of different possible combinations. This could be Noah's final game at Otson, and this could be Noah's final game against Utah. And I think he's going to play his heart out, which I think he's done for most part this season. Um, his stats are really down. has not been his best year statistically. Um, it's been his worst season um, if you go by a per-game average. But I think he's going to have a strong game here. I think he's going to lead the team in tackles. I think he's going to have nine or more tackles in this game, nine being his current season high against Washington State. Um, he had 10 tackles in one of the games against Utah last year and 12 in the other. So he's already shown in these matchups. He, he shows up pretty well. So um, I'll go Noah Sewell here to, to finish off his potentially his Oregon career at home with a strong showing against the Utes. I went with a Noah Sewell prediction as well. Why? I don't know. 
it just felt like like how Eric reasoned it, where Utah was going to try to run the ball a lot. Um, so I have Noah Sewell getting over seven seven tackles and over one and a half tackles for loss. The tackles for loss I picked up because I did some did some digging on our our Pro Football Focus. Um, Cam Risen isn't the best against pressure. His completion percentage drops off. Obviously, this isn't a smaller number of attempts, but his completion percentage drops off significantly from like 71 or 70.5% to 54, 55%. Um, he's more susceptible to throw interceptions. I think that Oregon is going to at least try to put some pressure on him. Granted, we talked about this last week against Washington, where if Oregon tries to put pressure on them because their defensive line can't get enough good enough pass rush, suddenly that leaves you know four four receivers open against uh, you know four or five defensive backs if they bring linebackers in for help. So I've got Sewell finishing with over one and a half tackles for loss. Um, I think that again on paper this plays better into Oregon's defensive philosophy and play style than it did against Washington. Um, so that's why I'm going with that prediction. We'll see if it happens on the field because it could just be like Eric mentioned a while ago. Like uh, it doesn't matter what the other team's offensive play style is like. They're just going to have success moving the ball. All right, team picks here. Um, it I've gone back and forth. I, I will say if Bo Nix plays, I think they win. And I, I think that's the key for me. And if, if Bo plays, I, I, I still think they win this football game. They're a better offense than Utah's it's at home. Uh, the crowd noise will factor in here a little bit. And so with that thinking in mind, I'm going to do the unthinkable here. I, I still think they win without Ty Thompson. It goes against everything that says yes or no to me. I'm going to go to the homer pick. Utah fans will roast me. I'm sure we'll, we'll get some, backlash for it the the reasoning for it is because i don't think i think we're going to be able to run the football and the stats show this is not a good as good of a defensive line front seven that utah has had they've had a couple injuries there too their star defensive end is out for this game um so i i am banking on the fact that oregon's run game will still be effective that offensive coordinator, Killian Dillingham, will be able to scheme up some stuff. And so I'm going Oregon 35, Utah 34. So you, you even with Ty Thompson as a quarterback, you think they win? I do. Okay. And we also I, – I actually, as Jared said earlier, I, I actually have two predictions here, one for if Bo Nix plays. One Cheaters! For, Come well, on! But, Matt, let me I think. I think it's vastly different. <laughs> but but I have actually averaged the two scores together to come with a composite score. So let me share that first. I have if if just to the composite score, which is the two scores combined, it would be Utah winning forty two thirty four. Um, if if uh, if Bonix, sorry forty two thirty one is what it ends up doing. My average is uh, if Bonix does play, I have Utah still winning thirty eight thirty five. I predicted Utah would beat Oregon at the beginning of the season. I'm going to stand with it, almost regardless of the quarterback situation. It's probably faulty logic, but we'll go with that. And then if if Bo Nix does not play, I have Utah winning forty five to twenty four. I still think there would be some scoring from Oregon with a Ty Thompson led offense. And I actually think I actually think there's a pathway here that maybe we end up coming away saying, gosh, some of the Ty Thompson negativity has been overblown because he hasn't really played too much like i'm not yeah. going to go to matt's go as far as matt to say i think they would win with 
with Ty Thompson starting because I just think that's a uphill battle and Utah is probably too capable of making up for mistakes that Ty might make in his first start. But I also think, you know, there's a path where there's, there's a bunch of different outcomes here, obviously, like, and that's how football works, duh. But like, as I said earlier about the defense and about how we come away from it, I feel like we might also come away a couple of different ways here from a Ty Thompson start, right? Like there's a possibility, and this is now we're getting to hypotheticals. There's a possibility we come away saying, oh man, like portal, got to hit the portal this offseason. This is not good. I think there's also a possibility we come away saying that was a lot better than we thought it was. Like, okay, we know he's taken his lumps a little bit, but God, some of that talent came together and Kenny Dillingham put a game plan together that really allowed him to, to thrive. So um, I'll take Oregon to lose 42-31 with my composite score. But I think if, if Bo plays, I think this is really close down to the wire. Yeah, I went multiple scores. I just did the, the composite score as well. Um, let's see. The composite score is 38-33 Utah. The Bo Nick score was 42-38 Oregon. The Ty Thompson was 38-24 uh, Utah. Um, I, I agree with you, Eric. I think there's some scenarios where we come out of this and Ty Thompson actually kind of plays well. But um, the – this, this defense that he's going against in his first career start and his first career, hey, you you got it, man. This is all you today. Um, this is not the best defense to go against in term, and especially if, let's hypothetically say, Alex Forsythe and Ryan Walk aren't playing too. Those are two guys that you have a lot of faith in, a lot of, uh, a lot of likeness with, a lot of time spent together. If those guys don't play, that's another added element in this hypothetical universe that where Ty Thompson starts. In the other hypothetical universe where Bo Nix starts, um, I still really like Oregon's offense. I, I still think that Nix can beat a lot of teams with just his arm. Obviously, his mobility helps in terms of you know scrambling out of third down situations. So that'll be something to watch if he does play, which I think he will, um, which is why my original prediction was Oregon to win. However, even though I have Oregon to win with Bo Nix playing, it was really hard to make that. Because I really like this Utah team. I think they play very sound on both both ends of the field. They are really well coached. This is an opportunity for them, just like Oregon, to get into the Pac-12 championship game. Um, this is a it, it would be very traditional Utah fashion where they kind of people write them off early with an early season loss, or they just don't look good, and then all of a sudden towards kind of like a Dana Altman team as the end mm -hmm. of the season nears, they play a lot better and a lot more consistent. And that's something that worries me because they're playing some of their better football right now. They have, I feel like they can kind of smell blood in the water with Oregon and, um, and like Matt and like Matt and you, Eric, and you guys mentioned earlier, some off the field keys to the game of keeping the consistency, keeping their heads straight, not trying to do too much. You know, Utah doesn't have to worry about those things. I know that they're favorite, that they are the higher ranked team, that they're favored in this game, but I firmly believe that they feel that they're an underdog going into this. And so that's why I'll stick, I'll, I'm going to stick with, uh, I'm having to change a heart. I'm going to talk myself into, I'm going to stick with the composite 38 33 Utah victory. Although 33 sounds pretty, well, that's a lot of field goals. So I don't know how they're going to get there, but 38 33 Utah. Four of them. Four of them. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. I'll figure out how to score those predictions uh, on the on the <laughs> prediction machine later. That's going to take some time. Uh, until the next one, post-game edition from Watson Stadium, or I guess from our warm houses Sunday morning. Um, 
You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.